0: Shalom, shalom. My name is Ariel Ben Lyman Hanavi. I'm delighted to hear that you are drawn to the Jewish root that supports the grafted in branches. You know, Torah is central to properly understand and perform the will of Hashem, that is, God. It is crucial for us to understand theologically that the primary purpose in Hashem's giving of the Torah as a way of making someone forensically righteous only achieves its goal when the person, by faith, accepts that Yeshua, Jesus, is the promised Messiah spoken about therein. Welcome to Parashat Balak, the Torah portion name, Balak, comes from the um, king of Moab, whose name is Balak, and most people translate his name into English as Balak, B-A-L-A-K, so there's really no Hebrew uh, meaning to his name, just simply Balak. So this is the Torah portion, Balak. The address is Bamidbar, Numbers chapter 22, verse 2, through chapter 25, verse 9. The reading date is for Shabbat, and I'm the author, Torah teacher Ariel Ben-Lyman. The written commentary was updated on July 1st of 2006. Note that all quotations are taken from the complete Jewish Bible translation by David H. Stern, Jewish New Testament Publications Incorporated, unless otherwise noted. So let's begin with the Opening Blessing for the Torah. Baruch Ata Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Asher Bachar Banumi Kol V'Natan Venatan Lanuet Torah Toh. Baruch Ata Adonai Noten HaTorah. Amen. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the Universe, you have selected us from among all the peoples, and have given us your Torah. Blessed are you, Lord, giver of the Torah. Amen. Well, um, here we are again on another Torah portion. It's not going to be a long portion today. The written notes are only six pages long if you're following along with the written notes. And I always encourage you to download them from the website at graftedin.com. They're available in PDF document. That way you're sure to have the necessary Hebrew and or Greek fonts that show up in my commentaries without having to download any special fonts to your computer because the uh, PDF uh, file format preserves any of the fonts that I place in there. Uh, as well, it preserves the page numbering, so if I say I'm at the bottom of page one or five or wherever, then you'll know exactly where I'm at. But if you're just following along with the, the uh, audio commentaries, well then I don't think we're going to have many parts today. Probably just one part, maybe 45 minutes long or something like that. Not a long commentary, okay? Let's talk about the power of rumor. Okay, this first section is entitled the Power of Rumor. Balak was the king of Moab, and if you'll recall from last week's Torah portion um, Hukat we had the people of Israel traveling through the desert they're on their way of course to the promised land, and the, you know they've had their share of problems already uh, they've tried to go in, they saw the giants, they were discouraged, they were frightened, and they um, they sent in spies. Uh, ten spies said that we can't do this, two spies said we can, Um, the people uh, complained against God, Uh, they complained against Moshe, Um, the people get uh, punished, and on and on and on the the trials and, and tribulations of the children of Israel go. But in chapter 20 of the book of Numbers, we have the people trying to move through a section of land that belongs to Edom. Now if you recall, Edom was the brother of Israel of sorts, not not Edom himself Edom was was a name for Esau. Esau, because he was ruddy, was named Edom as well. Edom, the Hebrew word Edom comes from um, a Hebrew word which refers to red um, so Edom and Esau were brothers, Esau and Jacob, I'm sorry, Esau and Jacob were brothers, thus Israel and Edom were brothers, and so in chapter twenty verse fourteen, Moshe. Sends word to the king of Edom, um, asking if he will let him pass through his land, uh, so that you know they can not have to go the long way around. And Edom does not let him go. Verse eighteen, Edom says, "You are not to pass through my land, and if you do, I'll come against you with the sword." So Israel says, "Okay, no, 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 no. We'll stay away. We'll keep the highway. We won't drink any water. We will, we, you know, we won't. Uh, uh, we won't." use any of your resources, and if we do, then we'll just pay for it, but just just don't worry about it. So they go around. And then the same thing happens, they get to, um, they get to, let's see, where is it? Um, Oh, let's see. Here we are, in in the same chapter, in verse 21, uh, chapter 21, I'm sorry, in verse 21, Israel sends a message to Sihon, king of the Emory. And, And again, Israel says, let me pass through your land. And uh, uh, Sihon says, no. But this time, instead of just passively allowing Israel to go around, uh, Sihon, the king of the Emery, he actually attacks Israel. And god that's when God steps in and says, no, 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 we're not going to have any of this. And so God intervenes. Sihon is defeated. And then God even allows um, uh, 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 Israel to conquer the Emery all the way up to... Um, to the former king of Moab, okay, and they conquer his land all the way up to the Arnon and so um, and then they actually turn Israel and attack uh, they go up the road of Bashan and they attack Og, the king of Bashan, and they fight him, and uh, they defeat him as well they struck strike him down, all his sons and all his people. No one was alive and they took control of the land. And that's where we, that's basically where the, uh, the Torah portion of last week ended off in chapter 22, verse 1, where it says, quote, Then the people of Israel traveled on and camped in the plains of Moab, beyond the Yadodin River, opposite Jericho. So they're right poised, they're ready to go, really, they're ready to go in, if they would just trust God. And that's kind of, if you remember where we left off last week, poised and ready to go in. And we left it as a question mark, a cliffhanger. Are they poised and ready to go in? Or are they really just going to face another battle? And so, that's where we pick up the story today. So we have Balach, alright? Balach had heard the news. And not only he heard, had he heard of what terrible acts Israel had committed in destroying the Emory, according to the first verse of our Torah portion, the first passage, it says, Now Balach, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Emory, verse 3 Moab was very afraid of the people because there were so many of them Moab was overcome with dread because of the people of Israel isn't that interesting so he 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 um he hears about the story and and according to um uh, according to the first verse he actually saw. It says, "Now Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Emory. Now, again, he he must have you know, it's close proximity. He must have gone out and 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 seen the um, uh, the aftermath of the war, of the battle, of the campaign. And so Balak is afraid. You know, did he witness it firsthand? Did, was he watching while they were slaughtering the MRE? Um, I don't know. Perhaps, but it, perhaps he didn't just saw the aftermath of the campaign and he did the mental math himself. He's thinking. Goodness! Look at what these people have done, and there are a lot of people. Whatever the case, the fame and the reputation of Hashem was becoming more and more known among the tribes of the Kina'ani, um, the, the 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 people of Canaan. You know, Israel is marching in. They're coming in. There's this this people group, the offspring of Abraham, and they're coming in. And um, you know, they're not really an army. They're just kind of you know they're just kind of Bedouins. You know, they're they're desert dwelling folk, but for some reason, they're undefeatable. What's up with that? So the offspring of Avraham was gaining a name for themselves. And um, the name, I might imagine, was the dreadful people who have come out of Egypt. Okay? The power of rumor. Indeed, the Lord was working mightily among them. And you know what? I think, in, for, for personally, that that is a morale booster. Keep in mind the people were already beaten down uh, because they, they, they sent the spies into the land. And I said a few parts ago that that, that God had ordered Moshe to do this and that that therefore it was okay. Actually, God conceded and allowed Moshe to do it, but originally God did not want them to go out and spy out the land. Um, So at any rate, um, the people... When, upon hearing the report of the spies, they became disheartened. So now, at this point in time, you could say that this is kind of a morale booster because of not only the, um, the uh, victories that they are winning over some of the people groups of the land, but also because their reputation is growing, and it's a good one. So our opening sequence has Balak, king of Moab, or Moab seeking a way to destroy these seemingly unstoppable and numerous people. He's thinking I've got to do something, or else you know what? I'm going to be the next victim on their list. They're just taking people out. Now, based on his observation of their might, because of their sheer numbers. Again, keep in mind Israel did not have a, an army of of soldiers. They did not have chariots. They did not have did not have um, uh, companies of horsemen and arrows and archers and things like that. They were just they were just people. You know, they were they were they were herdsmen. <laughs> And yet, because God is fighting their battles, that's why they're winning at this point in time, because they're, they're trusting in God. Um, so Balak decides that he looks at their sheer numbers, and he thinks to himself, a military campaign is futile, because I saw what they did to, um, to the MRE, and uh, uh, I'm probably going to lose my own army as well. So he, th- he decides to himself, you know what I think I'll do? I'll fight fire with fire. Because there must have been some element of the battle or of the, uh, 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 some aspect about, uh, Am Yisrael that Balak could see that this was more than just a physical battle. We know that God was fighting their battles. And so perhaps Balak had that sense. Perhaps he had the, the, the insight, as it were. The, um, um, what do we say? The, uh, um, the, um, gosh, what's the gift called? Um, discernment, discernment. Perhaps he, he discerned that this was a spiritual battle. So you know what? I, I like to think to himself, you know what he says? He's, I'm not, I'm going to fight fire with fire. And so what he does is he hires the top pagan prophet of his day, which is Balaam, Balaam, I think. He, B-A-L-A-A-M is how it's pronounced in um, English circles. But Bilaam is actually his name in Hebrew. All right. Now, Let's focus on this man for a while, this prophet, Bilam. He's a peculiar fellow. Here is a prophet who hears, converses, and actually, according to the text, if we if we just take the Peshat at face value, he actually knows the ineffable name of Hashem. Yet, yet, he does not follow the ways of Hashem's Torah. How can this be? How is it that he knows the name of Hashem, converses and knows God's name, hears him, but doesn't follow his ways. Now, as far as I can tell, and 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 again, there there are some times when we just have to speculate because we, we don't know exactly how Bilaam came to know the name of the one true God of the universe and how he's able to even um, converse with them. But occasionally in the Torah, to our seeming dismay, it appears that God actually converses with unbelieving pagans. You know. Um, let me see if I mentioned some other uh, examples. I don't in my commentary. Let me just throw one out to you. Um, you remember um, God spoke to Pharaoh in a dream in the in the days of Yosef. Uh, he spoke to Pharaoh, and this isn't the first time that God has spoken to to unbelieving um, rulers. When Abraham was in the land of Egypt during that one time, uh, God spoke to him as well, God spoke to Pharaoh as well. There, you know, told him don't don't touch Sarah because uh, Avraham is a prophet. And so, um, God can speak to anyone he wishes, because, number one, God is God. And number two, we are his created subjects, so um, we have no choice but to respond. So God actually converses with unbelieving pagans. Now, in these dialogues, we catch a glimpse of the incredible nature of our God in his dealing not only with the Jewish nation, but with other people groups as well. In other words, at times, God seems to give words of instruction to pagan kings or rulers that is actually beneficial to them. Um, other, you know, Were it not for them having God's uh, uh, warning in advance, they might have destroyed themselves or, or been destroyed. What it is, is I believe that even the greedy Bilaam could, if he would have followed the right course, he could have found a place in the community of God's called out ones. You know, God has always made... Um, membership into israel an open door policy you want to come into israel you then you attach yourself to me and then you're allowed to attach yourself to my people and uh, you're welcome to approach me. The foreigners allowed to approach me, and bring sacrifices to my altar, just like the um, uh, children of Israel are able to do. I always welcome foreigners into my midst, but the, the you know the stipulation is that you must abide by my rules and my regulations, and um, come underneath my covenants. So Belam, you know, conceivably could have joined Israel. He's already got a step up on 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 many of the people of Israel. Here he is. He's prophetic. He's he clearly has a gift. Um, and um, you know, he seemed like he would be really ripe to join Israel uh, if he would have chosen the right course. But as we're going to see, it seems to be that he chose a different course for himself. Okay, And that's the choice that lies before all of us. God is not willing that any should perish, the Torah tells us, but that all should come to repentance, which means that every person has an opportunity, as it were, to join the people group of God. And in this choice, God actually extends mercy and says, you know what, it's an open door policy. Here's my son, his name is Yeshua. Come unto him, accept him, and I will receive you, says the Lord. And yet, not all men make the right choice. We choose other things. We choose our own ambitions, our own goals. We reject God's gracious offer. And in the end, the self-destruction that comes upon our head is our own doing. So, we've talked about the power of rumor. Now, let's talk about the power... Of blessing. This next section is entitled, The Power of Blessing. Well, as the story progresses, we see that Balak the king sends messengers to Bilam the prophet with a request for Bilam to pronounce a curse upon the blessed. Now, Israel is blessed. This much it seems to be apparent to Balak the king, because again, otherwise why is he going out to fight Israel with a prophet? He must have again perceived that there was anointing A.K.A. a blessing upon this people group because you know he's a king, and he could look down and he could see. I rather think that he saw him firsthand because that's what the Torah says in the, in the first pasuk of this parasha. And I'm just going to take it at face value, not as um, as a, a, a colloquialism when it says that he saw all that Israel had done. So, Bilam, at first, entertains the notion and takes the matters before Hashem. I think that's interesting, right? Bilam actually goes to God to see if it's okay if he can curse these people who are blessed. Look at the look at the Pasek, uh verse 9, chapter 22. G- um, I'm sorry, uh, um, uh, verse 8. Let me back up a verse, okay? This is Bilam's response to Balak. He said to them, speaking to, to the king's messengers, he, Bilam, said to them, Stay here tonight, and I will bring you back whatever answer Adonai tells me. Now, if you look at the, the uh, Hebrew text, if you have it in front of you, Where it says, Adonai, it is the tetragrammaton name. So, um, if we take it again at face value that what the Peshat is telling us, the narrative is telling us, is exactly what Bilam stated. And this is not simply an editorial note from Moshe, who's actually writing this Torah. Well, then Bilam knows the name of Hashem. He knows the tetragrammaton name of Hashem, so he says, "You know, wait here. I'm going to go ask Hashem see what the what what the answer is." So the princes of Moab stayed with Bilam, and then God answers Bilam in verse nine. So not only is Bilam the prophet Bilam Hanavi able to converse with Hashem, apparently Hashem talks back to him. You know, uh, gives him an answer, which is again is real peculiar. So. The Holy One reminds Bilaam of the foolishness of such a request about cursing the children of Israel. And why? Why do you think so? Well, we've got to remind ourselves that God has already made a promise to Abraham way back in Genesis chapter 12 that I will curse anyone who curses you and I will bless anyone who blesses you and through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. In other words, Abraham, you're blessed and your offspring will be blessed. And anyone who tries to reverse this blessing has to deal with me, Papa. I'm going to take care of my own. So we can't just have any rogue prophet come along and try and undo what God is doing. So the Holy One, <laughs> um, the Blessed Be He, he reminds Bilaam, perhaps maybe, uh, I imagine the uh, HaKadosh Baruch the Holy One, he says to Bilaam, Oh no, 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 you can't curse him. Because I've already set forth a blessing in motion uh, with their father Abraham, but the messengers of Balak are soon found returning to Bilam with a second similar request, and this time it's backed by a more hefty reward upon Bilam's success. So it appears at first. If you look at Pasuk 10, verse 10, Bilam said to God, Balak, the son of Sippor, king of Moab, has sent me this message. The people who came out of Egypt have spread over the land. Now come and curse them for me. Maybe I will be able to fight against them and drive them out. Look at Pasuk 12. God answered, Bilam, you are not to go with them. You are not to curse the people because they are blessed. And then Pasuk 13, Bilam got up in the morning and said to the princes of Balak, return to your land because Adonai refuses to give me permission to go with you. So it's really cut and dry at first. Um, Bilam uh, B- just tells him, I can't do it. Sorry, no deal. Take your money back. I can't help you out. But the princes aren't easily discouraged, and Balak, the king, actually uh, uh, increases the price. Now at this point in time, if Balak, I'm sorry, if Bilaam had just stopped where he was and quit while he was ahead, as, as I'm um, you know, suggesting, it appears that Bilaam would have been okay. Perhaps this would have been the ending to a good uh, story about Bilam. Maybe we would have read about him going on to join the people of Israel because he realizes that their God is, is, is a very powerful God and that the people are, in fact, anointed or blessed. But it's at this point, if you'll read the story, that Bilam begins to make his mistakes. He, knowing that Hashem has forbidden him to curse the people, he listens to the request again, and he conveys this information again to the messengers. But then he proceeds to find another way around Hashem's apparent final answer. He's trying to get around the rules that God has established. He's trying to circumvent God's um, blessing. He's thinking to himself, maybe, just maybe, there's a way that I can have my cake and eat it too. I won't actually curse them because Hashem forbade me from cursing them. But maybe I can find a way to get the money. In other words, let me just jump ahead. What's driving Bilam at this point in time? If you haven't figured it out, it's greed. And we're going to find out that the Apostolic Scriptures bear that as well. But let's keep reading. Why is Bilam double-minded? Why can't he just listen to what Hashem tells him and go with that? He is, in fact, a prophet. He's a Navi. He's hearing from the true and living God. Now, I'm not saying that this makes Bilam a true prophet. I'm simply saying that the term prophet, Navi, seems to convey at this point in time someone who is able to commune with the supernatural. Someone who is in tune with God himself. Whether or not this person is false or true, I'm not going to say. You're going to have to decide that for yourself uh, during your study. I personally don't think Bilaam a true prophet. I've heard other people uh, other opinions where people say he must be a true prophet because he's talking to the true God. But why is he double minded? Here's the revelation of his greedy nature, as I mentioned before. I believe that the increased reward was actually beginning to appeal to him, and an abuse of his relationship with Hashem might indeed secure for him the praise of Balak the king. So Bilam is entertaining this idea, you know what? Maybe I can again have my cake and eat it too. So what's interesting is that Hashem actually does something rather peculiar at this point in the narrative to Bilam. God actually grants him permission to go with the men this time. You know, before God said, "Don't go, don't go with them," but this time God concedes. I heard a lesson on the on a podcast the other day. Um, the the lesson said, "Be careful what you ask for, because God just might give it to you." And sometimes the things that we ask for are not the best things for us. And God will sometimes grant us those things to teach us a painful object lesson. That the things that we ask for, we should not be asking for. We should not be setting, uh, setting our minds on. But in doing so, God says, fine. I'm going to teach you a lesson and show you that, number one, the thing you're asking for is wrong. But number two, once I give it to you and you have it, you'll find out the hard way that I was right all along, that you should not have been asking for it, and that you should not have it. So Hashem actually grants Bilam permission to go with the men, provided, though, he gives them a proviso. He says, you can only do what I tell you to do, Hashem says to Bilam. But Hashem, who sees the heart of all men, looks into the heart of Bilam, and he instead sees greedy gain in Bilam's heart as he quickly saddles his donkey and heads out the next morning. So again, God says, Go ahead and go this time, but only do what I tell you to do. And Bilam is up and out of there real quick. And then it's Hashem it's almost as if Hashem has like a human quality. He says, Whoa, wait a minute. What's going on here? Well, he got up and went quick. He didn't even resist. You know, he didn't even question us to say, Well God, first time you told me not to go, now you're telling me to go, maybe I shouldn't go. That should have been the proper response of Bilam, don't you think? Bilam should have said, Okay, wait a minute, wait a minute, why is God letting me go this time? Something's odd. But instead, Bilam is up. He saddles his donkey, and he's out the door. And so Hashem, knowing the heart of Bilam at this point in time, he decides to again get Bilam's attention because Hashem's upset. And so this is the story of the talking donkey. Now, those of you who listen to my podcast, many of you have seen the movie Shrek. Right? We've got a series. We've got Shrek One, Shrek Two, and Shrek Three, or Shrek the Third. And in this Shrek movie, you know the green ogre, we've got a talking donkey. Well, I'm, I'm here to tell you that was not the first talking donkey in the world. The first talking donkey in the world was in our Torah portion. Left to his own devices, Bilam would not follow the instructions of the Lord. Remember, God said, Go with them, but only tell you what go with them, but only do what I tell you to do. But God looks into his heart and he sees that Bilam is about to just to, to, to make some serious mistakes. He's not going to do what God tells him to do, but rather he's going to follow his own baser nature and seek the wealth offered by Balak. So, God, the one who can see into every man's heart, and the God of every circumstance, by the way, God decides to alter Bilaam's plans. And again, this is where we find a miracle. And again, what's interesting is we have a prophet, a Navi, who ends up having a conversation with a talking donkey, and he doesn't even... Uh, he, he, it doesn't faze him, you know? It doesn't strike him as very odd, but... Anyway, God sends an angelic messenger to sway Bilam from following through with his greedy plan. You remember, the, the angel stands in front of the donkey and the donkey swerves. And then the angel stands again in front of the donkey and the donkey swerves. And then finally the angel stands in a place where the, where the donkey can't swerve. The angel finally succeeds in gaining the attention of Bilam through his miraculous talking donkey. And, the, and, and, and God then informs Bilam that his plans are not good ones but are in fact opposite those of Hashem. The angel speaks to Bilam, and the donkey explains as well that this is not a cool thing to do. Now amidst the whole transaction, again, I'm amazed that Bilam does not even think it an incredible thing to have a conversation with a talking donkey. Such is the blindness of material lust. Lust, can, lust, for, lust and greed can just drive you crazy. You won't even realize. You lose all sense of reason. And in Bilaam's case, you're losing all sense of reality. I mean, hello, a talking donkey. And it doesn't even faze him. So something is very peculiar with the narrative. And we need to understand that this is a lesson for us today. That we should uh, be very, 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 very careful of where our heart leads us to go. Such is the blindness of material lust. Even the incredible... Seems dull in comparison to our own heart of greed. It took the supernatural hand of Adonai to open the eyes of Bilam, And this, by the way, finally, is where Bilam acts in accord with the word of Hashem. What does he do? He's summoned thrice to an overlooking hill to curse Ham Israel. He actually goes with the men. And if you recall, he's standing on the hill with Balak. And he's going to open his mouth, and he's going to curse Am Yisrael, even though God said, first, don't go. Second, God said, go, but do only what I tell you to do. And then thirdly, God realizes that, that Bilam is going to to, to to open his mouth and actually pronounce a curse, because he wants the money. And so God just says, no, it ain't going to happen. So what ends up happening is, is, is Bilam opens his mouth to curse Israel. But each time, instead of a curse... A blessing proceeds from his mouth as he attempts to perform that which the king of Moab is asking him to do. Particularly, what's interesting on the third attempt, the um, the prophet Bilam does not use his usual form of divination. If you go back and read the uh, the next the the narrative, notice the wording that's used in the text. Instead, in this third um, uh, uttering, this third utterance, this third uh, uh, oracle. the Ruach Hakodesh, the Holy Spirit, actually comes upon him. Isn't it interesting? And he opens his eyes and his mouth, and for the first time, I think Bilam realizes that God truly is the only God, and that His Spirit can and does do what He wills with a person and with with whatever situation. God is in control of everything, and He's even in control of me. And so the blessing which comes out of his mouth, with which he utters, it's most significant because, in fact, it has impacted the Jewish people in the form of a liturgical prayer which is recited at every Shacharit morning prayer time down to this very day. Look at the top of page 3. It says, "Matovu Oh, how lovely are your tents, Jacob, your encampments, Israel. This is the utterance of Bilaam in Numbers chapter 24, verse 5. And this shows up in every standard prayer book. Isn't that interesting? We Jewish people have preserved the words of an otherwise false prophet in the very pages of our own sacred Sidorim. This is incredible, as it comes on the heels of his previous blessing that there is no divination in Israel. Look at chapter 23, verse 23. This must have stunned the evil king of Moab. Right? As well as shocked Bilam into the reality reality that the very act that he was seeking to perform to curse Israel, indeed, his very livelihood. I I, I believe that, that Bilam was a prophet for hire, as it were. You know, he, he's got kind of a market, uh, an advertisement, a card that says, Hey, you want curses, you want blessings? Hire me. I've got access to the supernatural and I can make things happen in a divine way. Well, his very livelihood was an abomination. Well, it was not only an abomination to Hashem, but it was powerless against God's chosen ones. See, Balaam thought he was something until he actually met the God of Israel that he was supposedly utilizing all his life. That's why I don't think he was a true prophet. A true prophet not only knows God's words and God's ways, but a true prophet also knows God's character. And so, surely, if Bilaam would have known the character of God, he would have known that he cannot curse the chosen people of God. He would not have even attempted to uh, entertain such a notion. He would not have gone after greedy gain. But it is in fact true that God is the God of every human being. God created us all. No matter whether we know God or not, God knows all of us. And God in knowing us can utilize us to His um, to His glory, to His purpose, um, to His will. And so whether we like it or not, we are going to be used by God. The question is, are we going to be used willingly? Or are we going to be used against our own will? Now that sounds very harsh. I know some people will say, No, 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 God, Ariel. God is a gentleman, he would never go against our will. Really? I beg to differ with you. The Torah seems to indicate that in the end, God will have his way with everyone. In the end, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, whether or not every knee and every tongue realizes or accepts the confession that they're making. You get my point here? God is God whether we like it or not we can curse god to his face and in the end we will bow and we will confess and that doesn't sound like a gentleman to me it sounds to me like god is sovereign so don't misunderstand what i'm trying to say here god really is a gentleman however he's sovereign and he will have his way god is a god of covenant And this is what Balaam is figuring out now. God is a God of covenant and he has promised to uphold his called out ones in blessing and not in condemnation. He will not allow anyone to pronounce upon them that which is contrary to the plans and the purposes that he alone has in store for them. And this is an assurance to us today. If you are in covenant with God, then you can be assured that no power raised up against you can harm you because God is on your side. I think that's a paraphrase of a verse, but I can't remember the Pasik at the moment. Even still, the people that, that Bilam is trying to curse, they survive the attempts of Bilam, but in the end, the sad commentary is that they succumb to their own fleshly instincts by doing what? By intermingling and whoring with the forbidden women of Moab. Come on! They, they, they withstand a curse, and then they give in to their own baser nature, their own flesh, and they fall did the unsuccessful Bilam succeed in getting the people to fail or to fall? Not for the curses, but for the lust of the flesh? Is that what happened? Possibly. The Torah is silent at this particular parasha, but in another parasha, the sages are quick to point out that this wicked man eventually meets his death um, a few further chapters later on as Moshe and the people lay siege to Midian. You can jump ahead if you'd like and read. Um, uh, Numbers chapter 31 verse 7 through 20 and you'll see that Bilam is one of the victims there. Thus the people survive the curses yes, but unfortunately they fall instead for the advice of Bilam and give in to their lustful passions by taking foreign wives. And, and again God has to judge them there. So this displeases Hashem um, in, that, in, the, in the actions that they do and God unleashes a plague among the community and gosh if 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 this isn't disheartening i don't know what it is in the previous parasha, we just saw like how many people died let me just turn back real quick um, it was like 17000 what was it you know we had the curse um, the 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 uh, the uh, let me just turn here real quick we had the um the plague uh yeah the plague wipes out 14700 people back in um back in uh, Parashat, uh korach now here we have god Wiping out twenty four thousand people and and I'm presuming that most of those were men because it says they took foreign wives and were it not for the the noble demonstration of Pinchas um, you know the the, the 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 Levi the Levite uh, the the what the, um, the, one of the sons of Aharon if it were not for Pinchas, then the plague might have slain countless more I mean it is just a shame how the people can so easily be uh, can easily become the object of God's wrath. Now we'll read more about Pinchas in uh, or Phineas is how it shows up in in your English Bibles. But Pinchas, we'll read more about him in um, in uh, the next parasha, which is um, Numbers chapter twenty-five, starting in verse ten. Okay, that's next week. But for now, again, the actions of Bilam and his dealings with Moab. They have a lasting effect on the community, and indeed upon us as, as renewed covenant believers. It really impacts us today. How so? Well, for the community living in the period of the Tanakh, the tribes of Moab would forever be an enemy of Hashem, and thus an enemy of Israel. You can thumb forward in your Bible to Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 4 in the Hebrew version. It's verse 3 in your English and uh, through verse 7, which is through verse 6 in your English. And you'll see that, that again, uh, Moab is an enemy of God from this point out. Moabites, in fact, no, we won't talk about that right now. It has something to do with Ruth, but I'll, I'll talk about that later on, maybe. Uh, the evil deeds of Bilam's attempt at cursing the people become an object lesson from this time forward. You can read Joshua 13.22, Joshua twenty-four nine, Joshua I'm sorry, 24.9 and verse 10, Nehemiah 13, verse 2, and as well as Micah, chapter 6, verse 5. Now, as far as New Testament lessons go, remember I mentioned that Bilam is mentioned in the New Testament? Peter, Kepha, warns us of the greed of those like Bilam in 2 Peter, chapter 2, particularly verse 15. And again, the warning is for these people, it would have been better off, the Torah says, if they have not If they had not known the way of righteousness, then to know it, but to turn away from it. And of course, it seems to be the reference is that at very first, Bilam inquires of God, and I believe that very first inquiry was genuine. God really spoke to Bilam in the very first uh, uh, dialogue. God said, don't go with them. If Bilam would have listened to God right there, then he would not have suffered destruction. I really believe it. There would have been a chance for Bilam. And so Kepha has to warn us, it would have been better if he would have not have known God's ways than to know God's ways and turn from it. Powerful lesson for us today. And with that, I think I will call this part A. It's about 37 minutes into the commentary. But when we come back, we're going to take this um, story of Bilam and Balak and the greed and all of that And we're going to pick it up in the book of Jude, in the Apostolic Scriptures, and we're going to have a a very long quote from the book of Jude, uh, chapter 3, and we're going to look at the object lesson that has been given, handed down to us today. So our uh, next portion, part B, will start off on the bottom of page 3 with the paragraph entitled, Our Stark Warning. Okay, stay with us.